10, Revelation chapter 10, and we're going through the book of Revelation on Sunday nights with a few uh, short breaks here and there. And tonight we're going to look, as we read Revelation chapter 10, a little uh, pause, a parenthesis in the continuity of the book, another one, where you see another mighty angel and... And this, where we're reading at, there had been some trumpet, there had been some seal judgments and trumpet judgments, and we are in between the sixth and seventh trumpet judgment, and there'll be a couple of um, messages in between those two, and right in between that, John shows us this image, this picture that he sees, and a message he receives from another mighty angel, as he calls it in Revelation chapter ten, verses one to eleven. And we're just going to learn some things as we look at the characteristics of this mighty angel and then more of a personal lesson that we conclude with regarding this angel. Revelation chapter 10, again, the revelation of John that he saw that the Lord Jesus Christ gave to him while on the Isle of Patmos. Revelation 10 verses 1 through 11, we'll read this. John said, and, and I saw another mighty angel come down from heaven, clothed with a cloud, and a rainbow was upon his head, and his face was as it were the sun, and his feet as pillars of fire. And he had in his hand a little book open, and he set his right foot upon the sea, and his left foot on the earth, and cried with a loud voice as when a lion roareth. And when he had cried, seven thunders uttered their voices. And when the seven thunders had uttered their voices, I was about to write. And I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Seal up those things which the seven thunders uttered, and write them not. And the angel which I saw stand upon the sea and upon the earth lifted up his hand to heaven, and swear by him that liveth forever and ever, who created heaven and the things that therein are, and the earth and the things that therein are, and the sea and the things which be, which are therein, that there should be time no longer. But in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he shall begin to sound, the mystery of God should be finished, as he hath declared to his servants the prophets. And the voice which I heard from heaven spake unto me again, and said, Go and Take the little book which is open in the hand of the angel which standeth upon the sea and upon the earth. And I went unto the angel and said unto him, Give me the little book. And he said unto me, Take it and eat it up, and it shall make thy belly bitter, but it shall be in thy mouth as sweet as honey. And I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it up, and it was in my mouth sweet as honey. And as soon as I had eaten it, my belly was bitter. And he said unto me, Thou must prophesy again before many peoples and nations and tongues and kings. Notice the first few words of chapter 10, verse 1. I saw, and I saw another mighty angel. Angels are seen in the book of Revelation. They're mentioned 66 times. You can learn a lot about angels just from the book of Revelation. Modern day thought has weird, you know, I kind of have these weird views of angels. You know, they're Michael Landon Jr. or Michael Landon, you know, just kind of like that show up on earth. Or they're just cute little fat cupids 
that uh, fly around and shoot you with an arrow, kind of like that. Or, you know, other, there's just other imaginary peop images people have of angels. And usually some of those things are partially true. Well, we need to, we'll know what an angel is if we just take time to read the Bible and envision it. Here's a unique angel. Um, but again, in the book of Revelation, 66 times angels are mentioned. They are serving, they are communing, they are worshiping, they are praising, they are battling, they are delivering judgments, they are mighty servants of a mighty God. And they're around us. We don't always see them. They can manifest themselves as, they can manifest themselves as a human in a way which is unique. We see that in the Bible. But they're there. They're God's uh, ministering spirit sent forth to minister to those who shall be heirs of His salvation. But here, you see this mighty angel. In 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 11 says that angels, listen to this, are greater in power and might than we humans. They're greater than us in power and might. They are not the object of God's redemption, though. Once Satan, the, once one-third of the angels chose to go with Satan, the evil side, and the other stayed with God, that's set. There's no redeeming angels. They're set. There's one-third of God's original angels followed Satan, and they are wicked, and even there's different degrees of them. And then there's good angels. But we're, we are God's object of redemption. But angels are both the good ones and the bad ones. The God's good ones and the devil's demons are, are, are greater in power and might. I got to respect some cats. Jesus is compared to a lion. So this angel steps down and he's unusually clothed and gloriously appears and, and cries with a loud voice. It's not, it's very powerful and strong. And it's like, whoa, a lion's just full. And then when he does that, the rest of the acoustics say that there was seven thunders. Seven times. But they weren't just without articulation. This is hard to perceive. There were seven thunders that thundered their voices. So they, they were thunder, but they said something. I don't know how long, at least a sentence each. This thunder said something, and the next one said something. Seven of them. And John was like, oh, I, ooh, I got that. Oh, ooh, that really? Oh, really? And he hears seven statements. So they were articulated statements. We know that because John's going to write down what they said. And he was about to write. Notice what it says there. Seven thunders thunder their voices. God's keeping us on the edge of our seat here. He says, I was about to write. And as he was about to write, verse 4 says, I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, seal up those things which the seven thunders uttered and write them not. Ah, oh, come on. What did they say? Do you ever like tell, do you ever tell, like husbands, you tell your wife something, you're like, and your kid goes, what did you say? Like, nothing, you guys don't need to know. Man, I don't even like telling my kids I said nothing. I just, what did you say? What did you say? What did you say? And they'll go after me, and, and I feel like I'm being interrogated by the CIA, you know. Going to waterboard me to get it out. Well, <laughs> Look at this. They, the, the thunders thundered, and, and, and John's like, okay, I better write that down. And guys, don't, don't write that. I don't know what it is. We could, 
And this is where you, get, you can get into trouble. Yeah. Pastor, I know what it is. No, you don't. No, you don't. Now, some cults know what it is. I'm telling you, follow some, some American cults, usually American cults. They always know what everybody else doesn't. They always know what God never really said. You know, like finding rocks and finding a vision by looking in these rocks and having some, like Joseph Smith and Charles Taz Russell the, and uh, Joseph Rutherford, the, the movers and shakers of the Watchtower Society, Jehovah's Witness. They have all these visions and things that they know, and you're like, where did you get this stuff? Well, God told me, God showed me, whatever. And based on their false prophecies, we can mark them out and their false gospel. But people, when you, when you have something like this, it's like you're just going to have to humble ourselves and just leave it alone. Wow. Maybe I'll get to find out one day. Maybe it's so tough we wouldn't need to want to know. But it irritates some commentators and it makes the imagination of some people run wild and it becomes a platform for cult leaders to use to say they have some kind of hidden interpretation or knowledge. But God said to John, write it not. Write it not. Now let's pause for a second right there. He says, write it not, seal it up. That's, it'll be unsealed later and we'll find out. Now let's pause for a second and think about something. Does the Bible, now don't answer, think about this. Think about what you would like to know. Does the Bible tell you everything you'd like to know? Think about it. Isn't there a lot of things you'd like to know? Does the Bible tell you everything you'd like to know? No, it doesn't tell me everything I would like to know. But it tells us everything we need to know, right? Tells us everything we need to know. And this is just a little sample of that thought. The Bible, is the Bible exhaustive? Not really, but the Bible is sufficient. It's enough. What we have is enough. you got to remember, look in Deuteronomy chapter 29. Look in Deuteronomy 29, and you hold your place of revelation. We'll come back to it. This is something that you can come back to and lean on and when it's appropriate, when you've just thought and prayed and looked in the Bible and still can't figure out something, then... <clears throat> Again, before we read Deuteronomy 29, understand this is the, this is the end of Moses' life. The foundational books of the Bible have been revealed, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And God has said a lot already. But perhaps there were some Israelites that said, well, I want to know this and I want to know that. And so what is said here by the, God's Word is this, Deuteronomy 29, 29, The secret things belong unto the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong unto unto us and to our children forever that we may do all the words of this law. <laughs> Did you hear that? He says, there's our secret things and they belong to God. They're God's. God's secrets are God's secrets to keep. The secrets of the universe belong to God. And if He hasn't revealed it, then He hasn't revealed it. But those things which are revealed, the things that are in, in between the leather covers of your book. That's for us. That we may do all the words of those. In other words, you got enough to keep you busy. you got enough to live the Christianity you need to live. 
I have enough revelation of God to be the husband I need to be and be the dad I need to be and the pastor I need to be and be the Christian I need to be, no matter if it's 1801 or 2101. doesn't matter. I have enough of God's revelation. And the secret stuff that I don't know about and people try to write books about and speculate, that belongs to God. I need to focus on what I do know. And so here, here in fact, we got to ask ourselves, can I live with that? Can I live with what Moses just said there? Yes. One of the greatest, have you ever heard of these statements of faith and creeds? Have you ever heard of a creed? A creed is like a basic statement of faith. And sometimes they get real fancy creeds. You know, there's Catholic and Protestant and Lutheran and even Baptist statements of faith. There's some pretty good Baptist statements of faith where they go through thorough statements of doctrine. And uh, there's nothing wrong with those things uh, to express what you're saying. You're reading from the Bible. There's different ones. Um, you know, one of the best statements of faith you can make, if you say it sincerely and honestly, is this. I don't know, but God knows. I don't know, but God knows. Now, now if you're being lazy and not reading the Bible, like, I don't know. Well, that's one thing. But if you're like, hey, from what do I know from the Bible? What you're asking me? I don't really know, but God knows. There's some mysteries of life that are yet not solved. And here's a few scriptures that remind us of that. It's just a fact, and some of them will be revealed one day. In fact, let's go to his announcement here, and we'll touch on another issue here. His announcement, verse 5, 6, and 7. So the angel has an announcement. We hear his acoustics now, a particular announcement here, verse 5. He shows some solemnity here. He said, it says, verse 5 says, He stands. I saw the angel which stand upon, which, the angel which I saw stand upon the sea and upon the earth, lifted up his hand to heaven. He's going to make an oath. The Bible calls it, he's swearing something. He's saying, Get this, this is absolutely positively the truth. He's showing some solemnity to his announcement. I read that this action here, some have said that what, because remember the Bible's an ancient book, the New Testament, this was probably penned in AD 90, that this incident became the basis for what we know as a person putting their left hand on the Biblion, the Bible, because he has a Biblion right here, and their right hand raising in the air and swearing an oath in court. Now, I understand nobody should be compelled to make an oath. I understand it's a matter of free will, but that's kind of where this uh, custom came from. What I read is from this very incident. You know, um, so he shows some solemnity. It shows that he's a creationist too. Look at this. Angel would know here. Verse 6, and he swear by him that liveth forever and ever who created heaven and the things that therein are and the earth and the things that therein are and the sea and the things which are therein that there should be time no longer. Now, this is interesting. You know, there's some people who believe that they're called, they call them um, theistic evolutionists. Most evolutionists don't believe in God, or at least they're agnostics. They say, well, it just all happened, and things randomly kind of developed. And then there's others, like us, we're creationists, young earth creationists, believe the Bible, literally, God created everything in six days. 
and made a seventh day for rest and created man on, on the sixth day, etc. And earth is not as old as most people say. And the universe was created with age, the appearance of age, just like uh, the first man was. So we're young earth creationists. And then there's some who try to blend it. Yeah, well, you know, there were, God did create things. He created the earth and the sea and the heaven. But then he, he caused the evolution to happen. He just kind of let it kick in and do its thing. And things evolved, and he um, used that process. But it appears what this angel says is the Lord, he says he swears by him that made the earth and made those things in the earth, and him that made the sea and made those things in the sea, and him that made the heaven and made those things that are in the heaven. Here he is, he's, he's saying this, the God who has made all things, heaven and earth and sea, that there is, his point is this, there should be time no longer. Notice what he says there. There should be time no longer. Now some have, like what does this mean? Does it mean the concept of moving of time is not going to exist anymore here pretty soon? I don't think that's what that's saying. I think he's saying in the continuity of this book and how Revelation is being unfolded, the angel's coming down and says, look, there's going to be no more delay. We're about to wrap this thing up. We're about to wrap this thing up. There's no more delay. Time's about up. In Revelation 6, verses 10 and 11, some of the martyrs who were under the altar said, Lord, how long are you going to wait to avenge our blood on the earth? And I think this is in part their answer to prayer. You know what? Time's about up. God is going to finish up His judgments here soon as we proceed through the book of Revelation and fulfill the day of the Lord which the prophets spoke of and begin His kingdom program. It's not going to be wasting any more time. Time no longer. And then he says, and this is interesting, and I'll give you my take on the rest of verse 7. But verse 7, but in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he shall begin to sound, the mystery of God should be finished. As he hath declared to his servants the prophets. The mystery of God. The program that God has had. And now this is a kind of a whole nother Bible study. Mysteries, you can study the aspect, the concept of mysteries in the Bible. There are several mysteries. The idea of the church was a mystery. It wasn't revealed until Jesus said, I'm going to build my church. The prophets didn't see a church. The idea of the rapture is a mystery, according to Paul in 1 Corinthians 15. Behold, I show you a mystery. It wasn't clearly revealed before this. We see symbols of it. Noah and the ark, Enoch, those are, oh yeah, that's a shadow of it. That looks kind of like the, yeah. But it wasn't clearly explicitly revealed in the Old Testament. Paul says, I'll show you a mystery. We're not all asleep. We're all going to be changed in the moment in the twinkling of an eye. There's certain mysteries that were kept. It was a truth of God kept unrevealed until a certain time. Now this could be talking about the rest of the church age, the mystery of God being finished, or it could just be talking about the rest of the mystery things of life that God only knows is going to get, it's going to be finished. And when he starts his kingdom age, where it's going to be like, oh, I, now I understand better. I see through a glass darkly, but then face to face, now I know in part, but then I shall know, even as also I'm known. I think it's probably speaking about that. Aren't you glad about the fact, I, I get the sense, not just from this scripture, but in other scriptures, that there's just going to come a day where you're like, okay, I understand better now. Because sometimes we can get angst and we can get 
about why isn't this this way or why is this that way? And it's a mystery and, you know, knots you can't untie in life. And we have to resort to Deuteronomy 20, 20, 29, secret things belong to the Lord. But I think there's going to be a day where it's like, okay, all right, I get it now. Um, My confidence has bolstered, my angst is removed, my um, dismay is removed because I see it better in this eternal, timeless God one day. The mystery of God should be finished, the fog will be cleared. All the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God, Habakkuk 2.14 says. His announcement, and then his assignment to John. Let's wrap this up here, the last point, verses 8 to 11. His assignment to John. It says there, and the voice which I heard, so he's hearing two voices. He hears this voice of this mighty angel, and then he hears a voice from heaven. And John says, this voice which I heard from heaven spake unto me again and said, go and take the little book which is open in the hand of the angel, which standeth upon the sea and upon the earth. Now, I, this is one point, whenever I read this, I'm like, ooh. You know, so again, watch this. John's like, I saw this mighty angel. Whoa, an angel, it's his face like the sun and pillars of fire is his feet standing on the earth and on the sea. And, and whoa, and he said this sounded like a lion and seven thunders were, I couldn't write it. Whoa, and he has this announcement. And the voice says, hey, go take that little book out of his hand. Um, you know, you ever been like that? You ever see an armed guard? Now, some, quite frankly, some of these armed guards at Circle K, have you ever seen an armed guard at Circle K? It's a little sad. It's like, man, you know, I could probably kick that guy in the back and nudge him a little bit. He'd fall over and somebody could steal something. I mean, they don't look too intimidating, right? But then you go to like a military base. They got some kind of AR something rifle on them. I don't know. You go to be like, okay, no, okay, whatever you say. Or some, you know, another place, a federal building, there's probably a guard there. And he, you know he's armed and he shows it. And it, it, how many of you, hey, I want to go up and, no, no, no. You don't just go up and grab his gun. Even when we had the guys in the funeral, remember, I don't know if some of you saw this, the guys, they did. Um, the airmen that did the, the honors for Brother Flannery, I mean, they're in, I don't know what you call their little routine, but I went over to give one of them a handshake when they're done. He's like, stand by. And they had to do their little shake-off thing. I don't know what it is, man. They had to, and they're like, okay, no. It's like, I don't know what all that was, but I, okay, do your thing, man. Okay, now I can shake, okay, I can shake your hand now. But John sees this mighty angel, and, uh, by the way, I respect what they did. I'm thankful for it. Um, but John sees it, and the Lord says, go, go get that book out of their hand. Whoa. Really? I'd be like, um, he told me I can have that book. <laughs> That's what I would have said. I um, he, said he said, did you hear that? But John, what does John do? Listen, look what it says. He went unto, verse 9, I went unto the angel and said unto him, give me the little book. All right, John, good job there, buddy. And he said unto me, take it and eat it up. So the voice says, take the book. The angel gives him an assignment. Eat it up. Eat it. You know, we say, he ate up this book. I read this book and ate it up. That's the idea. The contents were eaten up. It's symbolized as consuming physically. 
The angel, the angel says, take it and eat it up. It's going to be sweet at first, and then your belly's going to be like, ugh. And John's like, okay. So he says, I took it, verse 10, and I, uh, I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it up. And it was in my mouth, sweet as honey. And as soon as I had eaten it, my belly was bitter. That seems to symbolize two things. It could symbolize the overall content of God's Word. It's bittersweet. Not all the Bible is a jar of honey. Not all the Bible is tough stuff. But it's at least picturing, if not the whole Bible, it's at least picturing the concept of prophecy. Prophecy is bittersweet. I mean, look, we've been going through the book of Revelation. You're like, oh, that's awesome. They're like, oh, that's not just, ooh, man, I hate to see that one. And so John eats it up, and it symbolizes the effect of prophecy, I think, to a person's spiritual taste. It's necessary, but it's, it's bittersweet. Eat it up, he says, and then he says, um, verse 11, the last verse, he says unto me, this angel, thou must, thou must prophesy again before many peoples and nations and tongues and kings. Now, there's a couple ways to take that. Um, it could be saying, and history shows that John was, so what is, where is John? John's a prisoner. He's on the Isle of Patmos. It said he survived, church history, secular history says that he survived boiling in hot oil. And also reveals that, I think it was Domination was the emperor at the time. He had died before John, he had died in this time frame. And when he died, his judgments and some of the things he declared were null. And history reveals that John did come off the island and died a natural death. And so the angel could be saying, hey, you're going to, be, you're going to get out of here and you're going to be able to prophesy to more people. It could mean that, but it at least means the whole of this prophecy, the whole of Revelation is going to be published. Again, what has John gotten so far? He had these epistles to the church of Laodicea. Here's the angel write to them. And he had these little messages that were to be delivered. But it apparently is showing at least that this book of John is going to go before the whole world because it's for the whole world. Isn't that interesting about the book of Revelation? It says it needs to be testified in the churches, but it shows that it's for the whole world. You, thou, must prophesy again before many peoples and nations and tongues and kings. Let's just, let's just consider this, the, that, the, that last verse here, some observations I have real quick. Five observations about this last verse. It makes something personal to us as Christians. It says, thou must prophesy. John, you. What was John doing? He saw this messenger of God, the mighty angel. He saw other angels in heaven. He's seen angels hold back the sea and, or hold back the winds. Of the, and, but, but God says, John, you are going to prophesy. You're going to be the one to give the message. Isn't that amazing? Remember how we started out by saying angels are mightier than us. They can fly faster, right? They're stronger. They've lived longer than us. And God could say, you know what? Why don't you go do the gospel work? But he doesn't. He says, you, the great commission is given to us. 
And that's what he says to John here. John, you're going to now, yeah, you saw this amazing angel and he's got the book. You took the book and you're going to continue with whatever the contents were. He says he must prophesy, not the angel. He, here's the next observation, he must prophesy after eating first the contents of this book. Eating first, getting a sense and a taste of God's word first and make it part of you and consume it and um, digest it. And make it a part of your being and a part of your energy and part of your strength. And then you go proclaim it. The best way to witness is to first think, consider the gospel. The best way to teach is to teach yourself. The best way to try to impart truth is to digest the truth for yourself first. I, don't, I can't teach what I don't know. You can't teach until you've taught yourself. And John is being told to prophesy after he's consumed Symbolic, it shows him consuming this prophecy. Thou, he must, not the angel, he must, after eating first, he must prophesy before many peoples, tongues, and nations. It, here's the next observation. Though it's bittersweet, though it's bittersweet, as we think about being witnesses of, of God's word, let's remember it's bittersweet. We don't just give honey. We have to give the honey and the bitter the meat, the milk, the bread, all the aspects of God's Word. Paul said, I haven't shunned to declare unto you the whole counsel of God. I gave you a sample of the whole pantry. John had to give to many people's tongues and nations bittersweet content of God's Word. Fourthly, he must prophesy before many. Before many. Look at verse 11. Before many. That means in front of, before people. It's, the idea is people need to be confronted with the truth. Did you know we sometimes just need straight up confrontation of, of truth? People need to be confronted with the truth. And then fifthly, he says he must be for many peoples, nations, tongues, and kings. All sorts of people need to be confronted. All sorts of people. All kinds of people. Rich and poor. Red, yellow, black, and white. This language, that language. This culture, that culture. I remember one time, um, Adam, wasn't it your dad? Your dad had told me that he got to talk to Bo Jackson. Bo Jackson played two sports, baseball and football. And I remember kind of prodding him, what did you do? How did you, you know, some card signing or something. And Brewster Carnes, after talking to him, he got a witness to him. Got a witness to, what was his nickname? What was Bo, didn't he have like a, yeah, they'd say Bo Nose, you know, yeah. Got a witness to Bo Jackson. Um, remember, you've heard Alex Trebek, who just died, the Jeopardy guy? I know of an evangelist who... <laughs> I think he was in the audience when they were filming a, uh, it was, I think it was when they were filming one of them, and on the kind of on the off time, there was a conversation. He wasn't trying to, you know, push himself on Alex Trebek, but it opened up where he got a witness to him, and he gave him the gospel, and he was not happy with it, the host. But he got a witness to him. He didn't leave it up to some angel. Right. 
who, so when I, there's a different ways you can kind of walk away from this chapter. And the way I walk away from it was, whoa, we're introduced to this mighty angel. But at the end of the chapter, I was like, you know what, John? Human be- God's saying, my, the humans, the ones I've gone to redeem are the ones that are going to actually get the, do some of the footwork here of communicating the gospel. God still uses his angels for different things, but who will go, not a mighty angel, thou must, is what it said to John. You may not think you're much, but John certainly didn't think he was much when he sees this big old angel, but he was God's chosen vessel to give the gospel. And that's, we are too. And that's just how I want to conclude tonight.